Welcome to the Hidden Bookcase. Come through and get cosy. Pick a book, your favourite book, that's the one that opens this room. Inside you'll find a warm fire, a loving cat, and a wide skylight for the stars. And a dangerously high to be red pile. I'm Morgan, I use they them pronouns, and I am a hot, gender queer, morally grey queen. I'm Soren, I use he him pronouns, and I am a zombie cyberpunk dog. We've been friends for over a decade and always swapping books. Each fortnight we take it in turns to recommend one another a favourite read. The first time reader tells us what they know about the book, makes some predictions about what they don't, and then we discuss our thoughts with all of you bookworms. So today let's get to talking about... Die by Kieran Gillen, Stephanie Harms, and Clayton Cowles. So Morgan, tell us all about Die. How did you find out about it? I found out about Die from one of my co-workers. My beloved Dave clocked me on site as a D&D enjoyer and a queer person and went, you have to read this. And I went, sure, Dave, sure, okay. And then I, I bought the first volume because I bought it in volumes. And then I bought the next three volumes. And then when my diss was due for the final time, I decided that comics was a good idea to read because obviously I didn't want to be reading words. And so while finishing my dissertation, I was reading Die alongside. But you finished it. So should we credit Die? <laughs> I think yes. <laughs> the power of imagination really got me through. So Dai is Jumanji with D&D. It's about rules and systems and queerness and repression and nerdiness and imagination. And I think that's beautiful. Let's listen to my blind and then we can jump right in. Dai. (laughs) I know some things about this graphic novel. I am familiar with, I think, two of the three authors who worked on The Wicked and the Divine. I've only read the first collected edition book of The Wicked and the Divine, and it was years ago, and I can't remember it that well. And honestly, I didn't really love it, so I'm a little bit cautious going into this, but obviously I trust Morgan's recommendations. I know that Dai is about a D&D party who, I believe, end up in the universe. Oh, I don't think it's technically not D&D, I think it's like D&D with the serial numbers filed off because then they wrote a system, didn't they? So... A not D&D party, but, you know, a, a tabletop role-playing game party who will end up in the world of the game that they're playing. And I think they're in there for a bit, and then they get back all but one, and they leave one person behind, and then I think there's a time skip, and they all have to go back again, and they're trying to maybe find the person that was in there. Or maybe they're just in there for, like, a really long time. I'm getting a bit confused. I feel like Morgan told me some stuff, and now I'm just losing threads but something like that and one thing that I'm very excited about that they mentioned is that I know that some of the party members have different gender identities to those of the characters that they play so that's something I'm really excited to see explored because I think that that really gets underutilized in like video game lit anything where people end up in a virtual world where they're being the character that they've created I think there's so much interesting potential to talk about ideal self versus actual self and talk about dysphoria possibly even as experienced by a cis character maybe in this scenario or something like that i just think it's got so much potential but i won't go on a whole rant about it (coughs) ready player one you did it in the most boring way possible anyway predictions i think that the person that plays whatever this equivalent of the cleric is i think they hate it i bet they're like not that kind of person at all in real life and then they're like really resentful that they have to be like the team healer that's my that's my one prediction i don't think it's that wild but it's what came to mind so we'll go with that kind of i feel like everyone hates whatever they have to be yeah 
They've had to go through it for years, and they're like, "Actually, get me out. I don't. I don't like this." Yeah, this was a cool character concept on paper, and now that I have to actually deal with it... Whoops, I'm committing war crimes. I was going to save this for later, but Morgan, I wanted to ask, of all of these character classes, if you had to be one for real, which one would you take? Because I feel like there's so many cons to most of them. (laughs) In the universe of Die, because I feel like being a dictator in this universe is kind of fine, because it's not like there's oppression specifically designed against you, but in the universe of Die. I feel like... The Godbinder class, it has the least drawbacks because you get a lot for everything that you do. This is spoken like a true warlock main, by the way. I have you know I'm a barbarian main right now, so um, don't don't come at me. Thank you very much. But yeah, no, I think probably. It's either that or the Grief Knight, so. Yeah. Just wield one emotion. I have to have like one of either like opposite end though. What, like the Grief and Joy? Yeah, so that I could just like bounce back and forth between. Although not joy, because mm. um, I don't know if you read any of the essays at the end of the book. I did not. I wanted to, but I did not have time. Yeah. So the um, the whole concept of the like knights of emotion. <laughs> if you had a joy knight, um, the writer was talking about the only way you could have a joy knight is if they were just an ethical monster, because they have to have get joy from killing in order to keep their power. So not a joy knight. But yeah, something along a better line. Yeah. What about you, Soren? I think I was also thinking Godbinder would be best because I'm not brave enough to do the happy-go-lucky thing. Mm. Grief Knight, I'm I'm good, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of them just sound terrible. To be fair, the cyberpunk rogue situation, kind of cool. I guess the main drawback of that is that you're power source just disappears at the end of every day which is such a cool concept by the way absolutely love that also just a great concept for an rpg game because then you don't have your players resource hoarding and being like well what if i need this later they have to use it by the end of the day and then you constantly have a driver of oh you need to go get more might be frustrating but at first glance i was like "Ooh, i like this a lot but you got to kill people to get it soren yeah but there's zombies wow zombies are people too <laughs> they get back up <laughs> You're going to murder a dog every single day? I'm not murdering a dog. No? No. I will murder a zombie human, but not a dog. <laughs> this is what we've discovered about me today. I follow that morality. And also, I guess in that class, you can take a healing kit, because Amanda mentions it at one point. So that's useful. She just didn't. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just the classic sort of like, I could be a healer, but I don't want to be. But I won't. And then you would have so much regret if that then became your actual reality. And you're like, why didn't I just choose a healing kit? Because I wanted to do cool combat stuff instead of be responsible for the rest of my party. That's the most realistic thing about this, is the fact that there's technically no healers in the whole party. <laughs> that's that's so on brand, honestly. But Izzy likes being support class. We love that. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is out here being... DPS, pretty much. Well, I guess, no, the dictator's not really DPS, but I guess like there is potential, because you can be like, we'll just crash your sail ship jump off a cliff. That's that's pretty effective. Love me without limit. Love me without limit. Oh, that first time I saw that scene, literally insane. That's just the command spell on the steroids. I feel like that I, I love that. Shall we talk about the covers? Because I immediately asked you a question. Yes. I don't know what the volume covers look like individually because I have the collector's edition, which is very cool, but very minimalist. Mm. Yes, I need to get that. The individual like issues I have like at the back, 
And then I have the volumes. So we have volume one, which is all the different characters. The art is amazing. Mm. Hans's like limited use of colour palettes and everything being so painterly and ridiculously detailed. I have to wonder how long these take and it scares me. The art style, like, come for the idea of the story, stay for the art style. It really just makes everything so visceral. Mm. Those like huge panels you get of just like landscapes. Yeah, incredible sense of scale on everything. And the character designs... They're so good. I love Mistress Woe's design. Mm. She looks so cool. <laughs> She's vibing. Did I find Sol's bowl cut kind of funny? Yes. <laughs> they did vanish in the 90s, so yeah. He's repressing some gay thoughts. It's okay. He's got to have a bad haircut. <laughs> but speaking of the collector's edition of Die, I had a tragic happenstance, I have to show you. What happened? For our listeners, there is a massive piece of parcel tape on the spine of my book. Because, like, three pages in, I dropped it on my foot, which still hasn't healed, by the way. It's been, like, two weeks. (laughs) And I'm getting a little bit concerned. Ow. It did hurt. It wasn't an ideal scenario. Also, it was in front of, like, three people in the kitchen, and I had to do the, like, oh, I'm fine, ha ha ha, things. I didn't want to be like, no, that really hurt, actually. So that was embarrassing. So that was, we didn't get off on the right foot. Ha ha, me and Di. <laughs> Can you tell we don't usually record at nine in the morning? <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it was very sad and my spine is split now and it's holding together, which is fine, but I'm upset that it's such a beautiful collector's edition and it now has to have tape on it. But what can you do? So we can't talk about prose because this is a graphic novel. Mm. But I feel like we can talk about both dialogue and lettering. I know that the letterer, is that what you call it? Cowles has like won awards for his lettering and I can see why. It's so good. What exactly is lettering? It's basically just like writing the words. Okay. Composing them in the page and doing funky effects when people are drunk or mind controlling people or being mind controlled and things like that. Those are so cool. They're so cool. I feel like they're used to such great effect in this. All the bits when people are drunk is very funny when it's like all meandering all over the page. And the dictator speech bubbles being like, I don't want to call them gamer aesthetic, but they kind of are with the red and the black. But they're, they're very cool. And all of the fallen with the binary code that turns into speech. I was tempted to translate the binary, but then I was like, there's not very much binary here, so it's probably just the first couple of letters of a sentence. Editing's are in here. I got curious, and it turns out that somebody on TV Tropes had done the hard work for me, so if you're interested, the Fallen are actually saying, we hunger in binary. Making the elves sort of sci-fi. I know that this isn't the first fantasy to do this, because I've seen it before, but I love it. It's always good. The idea of fairies as, like, computer programs, because they live by a set of rules of, like, if, then, else, is so... It's just something in my brain. The fantasy sci-fi merging. And also like the eternity of fairies versus the eternity of an AI or a computer. And the fact that you can enter into their world and then several days will pass. That felt like a few minutes. Whoa. Doom scrolling. (laughs) I'd rather wander into the fake court. I feel like they'd at least have better parties. Mm. While I loved all the classes, I'm a little bit disappointed that everyone was kind of just human. I wanted somebody to be like, I'm an orc or something, and then they're having to deal with the fact that they're an orc. Probably they would have added slightly too many dimensions, maybe. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> you know, it takes Ash four books to register any dysmorphia. I'm very happy to see a book address the time-honoured trans tradition of making your characters the gender that you want before you have that gender. 
or acknowledge that you have that gender. I restarted Skyrim as a child, being like I'm not connected to my main character. What if I make her a guy and then play through and was like, this was so much better, I wonder why. I don't have time to unpack all that. But also, yeah, MMORPGs as well, mainly because I didn't like other people treating me like a girl. What was that about? Mm, I wonder. Whoa. <laughs> to be fair, also, sexism in gaming spaces is its whole other thing. It is a lot easier to play games now, and that's very, very sad. I love how in the beginning she's like, yeah, I don't have a good answer for you. <laughs> it's been 40 years. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and then, like, it literally takes being, like, confronted by her and her demons to be like, yeah, okay, sometimes I like being a girl. Fine. Average egg experience. Maybe I want to be a hot, genderqueer, morally grey queen. It was very nice to have a gender fluid character in general because I don't see them that often. Like I can probably count them on my fingers. And I felt like it would have been very easy to do the straight up. I feel so uncomfortable in my daily life and when I'm in die, I'm me. And there's nothing wrong with that narrative, but I also feel like it would be a bit simplistic, especially for something like this. So it's nice that it has a little bit more dimension. Everything is so deliberately messy in this series, I want to say. I think that's the way I describe it. And it feels so human and real to be like, I don't have the answers. They're not clear cut. This is how I feel and I don't know what to do with it. And then have to commit a few war crimes before you figure it out. <laughs> Was this your personal experience with gender walking? <laughs> yeah, you know. As you do. That's an interesting study, actually. Do people that absorb more fiction tend to be trans? And I know it's a bit chicken and egg, but is it because you're better at putting yourself in other people's shoes and you have a more expansive sense of self? Mm. Maybe. Because you are better at empathising if you read more fiction. I'm not saying that just to be like, aha, aren't book readers superior? Like, there is scientific evidence. And again, chicken and egg, we don't know if it's you enjoy fiction because you are better at empathising or vice versa, you become better at emphasizing because you've been reading fiction it's very hard to tell but i'll be also more transgender probably probably <laughs> but are we more transgender because we read fiction or are we transgender and then we read fiction because that's useful to get out of your own head are we human because we look at the stars or do we look at the stars because we are human <laughs> exactly it's all just gender soup as we know nothing comes first the chicken and the egg exist simultaneously at the end of the timeline creating themselves the chicken is the egg the chicken gave birth to itself. Yes. You're welcome. The whole universe is basically just Dolly the sheep. I feel like we're <laughs> going off track slightly. <laughs> Timey-wimey-ness. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of timey-wimey-ness in this, and I have to admit, at the beginning I was kind of like, this is stressing me out because I'm so fussy about time travel narratives, and then it, eventually I was kind of just like, I'm just going to stop questioning it and go with it. I feel like because the timeness is so, like, just absolutely balls to the wall unhinged for example like i grew up watching things like the flash and arrow and legends of tomorrow where each show is in the same universe but has a different system for time travel which mm. really bugged me because they supposedly followed those rules but they didn't really yeah whereas this from the get-go is like nothing makes sense everything's messy everything's a loop everything exists at once it's very raven cycle tree time-esque and i was like you know what it's like so disconnected from like supposedly like linear time that is fine and the rules that it does establish in terms of the magic system it follows so faithfully i love the thing of the reason that we were able to get back when soul got dragged away is because soul was killed the minute he was dragged away and therefore everyone was ready to go back and therefore we could get back that was fantastic i didn't see it coming at all and then i was like well that's so obvious because we established the rule and everybody needs to know so the only way that we can get out of this is if somebody is dead and then he was dead yeah 
you could have seen it if you were paying attention. But I, you know, feel like, okay, if I follow that through to this logical conclusion, that's always my favorite thing with magic systems is just follow their all to its logical conclusion and mm. then make it up. I feel like this entire book is just like, yeah, logical conclusion. Up. Exactly. I do feel that I was losing track of kind of what the characters' motivations were in given moments, maybe just because there was so much going on and there were so many of them. I was kind of like, okay, wait, hang on, we're doing this now. Why are we doing this? And that was a bit difficult. Maybe it was because I read the whole thing in quite a short space of time that I was kind of a bit like, wait, hang on, you changed your mind about this, but when and why? Everyone's flip-flopping like a fish in this series. They're like, wait, I want to go home. No, wait, actually, this is real. No, wait, I have an obligation to these people. No, wait, this. No, wait, this. No, wait, I have to go home. Round and round in circles. Matt was pretty consistent. He was just like, I would like to go. And I was like, yeah, I empathize with you, Matt. Just wants to go home. They are a very fun cast of characters, I have to say. Who's your favourite character? I mean, it's not hard to guess. <laughs> Tell us why, though, Morgan. Ash is my favourite character because, you know, the gender is gendering. And she's also drawn really hot and like, I'm our race, but I can appreciate the aesthetics, the vibes. She's got a cool vibe going on, especially that end panel at the end of the second volume. She sits on the throne and she's like, watch me. Oh, yeah. That's the one I show everybody when I'm like, you don't understand. her please (laughs) look at my wife i just love the way that like her voice through the narration is so interesting and so unreliable but she also knows she's unreliable and she keeps going back and forth and being like don't trust me i don't know what i'm gonna do and like even to her friends quote-unquote friends she's like i want to leave but i also don't trust myself here because i also don't want to leave and both things exist simultaneously. All of the like interesting moral questions that I love to look at in fiction, characters that don't trust themselves, but also will do terrible things for what they think is right. She's like a microcosm of everything I love. And it's so interesting to watch. And especially making her like the actual narrator. Because usually that character would end up being like a villain or like the morally grey sidekick. But like actually having her as the narrator the edgy one in the party yeah. <laughs> it's just oh and the way like the magic system works with her power and like this trauma from like childhood and like realizing it now especially like with like zamorna and stuff like that the like weird uh, will they won't leave a erotic friendship with soul just everything she's got everything who's your favorite character i don't want to also say ash i feel like it's the most cohesive narrative of everyone like, everyone has their own worries and things, and I feel like it's the cleanest. I don't know if the cleanest is the right word, but it has a very clear through line. Maybe it's just because you get to know Ash the best, because you're inside her head, you're getting her little, like, asides and her little thoughts on, like, what's going on. But there's just so many interesting things. And again, it's those things when I was making my, like, you know, mean observation about Ready Player One, but it's not just Ready Player One. It's sort out online, and it's every piece of video game lit that I've ever picked up. And also, honestly, loads of Portal Fantasy. I'm like, commit do things like make them have a child and then go home and then they come back and they have an adult child when they haven't been able to have a child in the real world. It's it's so interesting. Please, this is exactly what I want. I want it to be that thing that as the writer you go, ooh, that would be really complicated and messy though. So then you do it because it's interesting. Literally the only time I've ever seen someone else do the what if we had a child in the portal fantasy and then we came home and we didn't have the child anymore trope was in Wizards vs. Aliens. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, the Russell T. Davies CBBC show. One of the aliens and one of the wizards end up stuck in this like portal fantasy together for 40 years. 
they have to work together and they become really close and they basically become lovers and they have a kid together and the kid grows up with them and then they come back to the real world and they de-age and they don't have the kid anymore and they have to deal with the fallout of that for the rest of the season while still being on opposite sides. There is another one that does, does that and it is the magicians but they don't deal with the fallout of it at all. Yeah, they don't. They just go, and that was a fake timeline where we both died. Oh, maybe we remember it, but we're never going to address it because queerphobia. Exactly. I feel like this does it in a really interesting way. And I like that it ends on a terrible note. She does not repair that relationship at all. She just makes it worse. Yeah. She's like, wow, he's so much better than me. I'm so proud. Am I being led away in chains? Yes. Did I actively manipulate him with my powers? Yes. Alexa play Never Love an Anchor by the Crane Wives. <laughs> I love Izzy and Ash's weird friendship so much. That's also a little bit homoerotic, honestly. Maybe it's just because they like dislike each other so much on some level, but also... It's so interesting because it is that sort of thing of like when you transition and like female friendships are so different mm. to like female-male friendships or male-male friendships and that like feeling of closeness. And it does feel like Ash and Izzy is like Ash experiencing a close female friendship for the first time. And like the little budding bits that they get of like, once we're over all our trauma, then we can actually like be friends. And like, they've done so much for each other despite the fact they don't like each other, which is very homoerotic. The first thing Izzy does on page is apologize to Ash for not understanding about all of the queerness. And then immediately they go back to hating each other. But it's like, just, like this tiny moment that I'm like, yes. And was it because you had some repressed stuff going on, Izzy? You know... You can't look like that and not be bisexual, that's all I was saying. You know, we were all thinking it. I like that that was a point of contention between them, because I feel like it, again, would have been easy to do. They're like, ah, oh, no, Angela's bi, and therefore everyone in this group is not homophobic or transphobic. But, like, it was the 90s, and they're kids, and they're going to be products of their parents and their environment. It would have been interesting to see what changed Izzy's mind, as opposed to just sort of the shifting of the culture. I guess. Maybe being a teacher. I think I do love that tiny bit of like, I heard some kids talking about gender queerness and I looked it up. It's a thing. And the idea that she connected Ash to that concept and looked it up and was like, oh, I understand now. The idea that like it never quite left her head and she was always a little bit like, Ash. I like those little three lines of them thinking about each other while they're in the real world, quote unquote. Like they haven't spoken to each other for ages because when Matt's like, oh yeah, my kids are this old now. And people are like, what? So obviously there's been like a very long period of time. But but then Matt's like, yeah, I read all of Chuck's novels. They're bad. And it's like, some of them have been following. It's quite cool. Also, complete segue, but speaking of like things that were happening in the real world, love that Angela acquired a disability from being in die with her metal arm. And then was like, actually, this is who I am now. When she got it back, she was like, this is I, disturbing and I don't like it because why would you? You've had such a long period of time. And people are like, oh, doesn't this mean that you want to stay? And she's like, for an arm, my children are outside. What is wrong with you? It's so well handled in this, I think. Speaking also of the real world, I do love that the sexy lamp is lampshaded in the fact that Ash is like, yeah, I haven't talked about my wife slash girlfriend. That should concern you. It concerns me too. Because she is just a sexy lamp. Is she a sexy lamp? She's the sexy lamp you go back for in the dark. Yeah, it's like, oh, I really want to get back to my sexy lamp as opposed to my wife. Yeah. yeah. And even then, does she want to get back? The reunion kind of makes it seem like possibly. I feel like it would have been interesting to dig into that a little bit more because like, was it that 
the not dysphoria i feel like because ash we're just calling her ash but i guess also dominic because he's like it's fine i like being both is like i don't feel uncomfortable but also mm-hmm. if you have a part of yourself that you're not exploring and that you haven't shared with your partner i feel like it can make it a more difficult relationship so was it that mm. because upon turning up and being like i have so much to tell you by the way i'm in love with my childhood best friend just saying just saying multiple ones <laughs> like all of them <laughs> just gonna be a really weird polycule you know see i feel like this could have been interesting like one thing that i kind of was sad about the mispotential of like we have one sibling relationship in the party if people wrote backstories so that their characters were somehow connected that would be interesting. Ooh, yeah, we didn't really play with backstories much. Not really. Glass Town, they mentioned that, like, that was part of Izzy's backstory. And then when they got there, they were like, oh, this is your bit, even though we haven't actually been here before. But I feel like that would have been interesting. Like, have you, if you've written a backstory and die, what happens if, like, your, your parents and die turn up? I say parents as if this isn't their first RPG, so they didn't all choose orphans. But, you know, one of them might have an evil twin or something. <laughs> That's so true. Where are all your NPCs, guys? Exactly. Come on. And like, maybe you don't care about them because internally you're still you, but they care about you because this is real to them. Yeah. What is reality? We've exactly. established. And as far as they're concerned, you were chilling. You were like living your life. Maybe you went off adventure. And then you come back and you're like, I'm a different person. I came from a different world. And they're like, you were normal like two weeks ago. I don't, I don't know how that would work. I kind of got the impression that they'd all just dropped in like stalk babies. But at the age of 20. I just feel like it would have been fun. This is one of the things that I always want to see. Kill Your Darling by L.E. Harper kind of does it, but it doesn't make good on it because everyone gets very accustomed to the fact that the protagonist has been supplanted by the author. This is a author going into her novel situation rather than a TTRPG situation. And after like 24 hours, they're just kind of fine with it, even though one of them was like her lover. And it was just, I was like, there's so much potential here angst 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 exactly it's so angsty and now you're just making out with this other person in your partner's body that's a little messed up man i read a fan fiction once a supernatural fan fiction bear with me for a sec and it's basically a fix it fic of the entire show where dean like 30 year old dean goes back into his four-year-old body and then has to deal with like being basically somebody completely different. And it's like a rewrite from like day one, flashback one of the entire show. And it's hundreds of thousands of words. And that makes me think the same thing because he has to have lots of talks where he's like, I am not an eight year old. I am actually a 30 year old. <laughs> that was also another thing that I was a little bit because I was like, I assume they're now in their like 20 year old ish bodies again. I was a little bit confused as to why Chuck's cancer carried over into Die. I understand why he would have it when he got back. I mean, it doesn't really start happening until, like, start affecting him from our perspective until Izzy punishes him with, like, bad luck. I feel like he was just hiding it, though. That was the vibe that I got. Yeah, maybe. I don't know, I connected the two as, like, yeah, direct... But yeah, maybe that is the reason that they're all being so terrible is because they're like, oh my god, I have the energy of a 20-year-old again. I can do things. I can do whatever I want. I've got so much power. I feel like that makes a lot of their decisions make more sense. How do we feel about the whole aspect of like bringing in authors, historical authors? I do have opinions on this. I'm, I'm ready. I thought you might. Okay. So when I first read it, I was very icky on it because I... I'm not a huge fan of real life characters being used, especially in speculative settings mm-hmm. and not historical fiction. Um, having said that, Rusty Cool Gaming is one of my favorite podcasts, but it's very easy to forget that Oscar Wilde was a real person 
when he's out here being a bard and romancing one of the main characters, it's fine. We don't think about it. Have I written fanfic? Yes, we don't. We move on. We digress. Um, however, I think that this series gets around that issue really well by establishing that these are echo imprints and not the real people that have been like mm. projected into Die at the moment of the creation that was important to Die. And these characters themselves know that they're not really those people. They are echoes serving a function in the system of die so i think they walked around it like i still it's not my favorite trope yeah but i think they walked around it pretty well and especially once you understand that die is just like 20 different author influences that have been cobbled together yeah i think it works really well what do Mm. you think about it i think i feel similarly i like that it was echoes rather than being like this is straight up hg wells and he's just lost in here I'm not entirely sure how I feel about it, which I was kind of hoping to have sorted out mentally by now. Mm. I think it's better on a reread. Yeah. Sometimes books about books or about storytelling annoy me because I feel like it's this thing of like playing to the crowd. Do you know what I mean? In terms of like, particularly when it's like, let's just bring in all of these references and bring in all of these elements from other stories. I'm like, I appreciate that there's no such thing as an original idea, but this is taking it a little bit far in terms of you're just pulling out things that you think are cool from another story. And then throwing them back at the audience and relying on their familiarity with that canon to make them enjoy what they're seeing and to make them get excited about it. And I feel like this did this a little bit, but sometimes in creative ways, but sometimes less so. So I'm very 50-50 on it. Like, I feel like references themselves don't always work for me. But there's quite a lot of them in here, particularly in dialogue. And I was like, I get that they're all nerds, so they would be making references. (laughs) But at the same time, I liked the actual references to things, especially Mm. to like different systems, because I think the writer was working through a lot of thoughts, especially in the essays later on about different aspects of these industries and these systems and sort of thinking them through, through the medium of the comic. Yeah. Especially because I'm not very familiar with a lot of like older RPG stuff. And with video games in general. So I was learning because it felt still accessible, even though I didn't know anything about it. That's interesting. That's, I feel like that's good. I feel like it has to be, if that makes sense. Like, like I feel like uh, Ready Player One, I don't want to bring it up again, but it's one of those ones where if you don't know the source material, you're probably going to be there like, okay, like, is it cool that Evangelion is fighting with like a Transformer? I don't know. And I feel like it, one of my issues I have with a lot of Dark Academia, especially, is that it relies on references and often will not explain them but this does and utilizes it well enough and because it's actively lampshading a lot of it because it's about systems and rules and different rule systems on top of each other i think it works soren as the new reader what are your thoughts on die my thoughts on die are not concrete so forgive me i adore the art i think it's gorgeous we didn't talk about it that much, but if I was writing on art alone, five out of five. I feel like Gillen as a writer, I feel like I, I'm kind of vaguely remembering the issues that I had with The Wicked and the Divine, where I want to have more of a foothold in the characters than I do. I like them, and I think that they have a lot of potential, a lot of interesting ideas and themes in play, but there's just something for me that I can't quite get into them. And maybe it's the fact that there were just so many motivations floating around and so many things happening that I was kind of just a bit like, oh, this is what we're doing now, as opposed to feeling like I had a clear internal and innate understanding of where we were going and why we were going there at all times and sometimes it felt a bit like oh 
if we want to do like a pirate vibe for a little bit, that's why we're sailing now. As opposed to there's like a real reason why this is happening. It's for the vibes. It's for the vibes, exactly, which is I guess fine. Um I think I would have liked to see a little bit more of real world flashbacks. I know they're not gonna look as cool, but I feel like it would have helped to get a more grounded understanding of all of the characters. And while I kind of was okay to just sort of go with the flow on the, the timey wimey business at the end. I was a bit like, because this is so much about rules and systems, like you were saying, Morgan, I feel like it would have been nice if that had fit into that overarching schema more. So for that reason, I think I'm going to give this three stars, but I did really enjoy it. What about you? For me, this is a five out of five. I, as we know, am a very vibes-based reader, and this isn't just vibes. Definitely. Because often I will just be like, yeah, five stars because I had a fun time. Whereas this is very in depth and digs into a lot of my favorite themes but it is very messy but i feel like it's deliberately messy it kind of doesn't try and order itself into something for the reader it kind of presents itself on a plate and goes i don't know what i am you don't know what i am let's find out together you will feel irrevocably changed you just won't necessarily know what you've just read and i do i just love things that make me feel things and this makes me feel a lot and I cried multiple times when I first read it, which wasn't just because I was doing it at the same time as my diss. <laughs> I love messy queer fiction and I want more messy queer fiction. It's just so beautiful as well. It really just captivates. Definitely. You could have any of those pages as a print. The paneling is very good as well. That one at the very beginning when they like show everyone explaining what the character is, the diagonals beautiful it's one of the first comics that made me truly like think about positioning of panels i think because it's also discussed in the essays later on and sort of like how the flow of the page works and i know we talked a bit about it for finding home but it's just so varied and dynamic and interesting and i have to say combat in this as well that can be difficult with comics because obviously people aren't actually moving despite all that you can do to make an illusion of movement so sometimes it can be like, what's happening? Whereas I didn't feel that with any of these combat scenes. I was like, okay, I can see what everyone is doing and why. But it also looks cool. Mm. It feels alive. So alive. In every inch of the page. Both in story and in art. And in vibes. Fundamentally changed. <laughs> so we can all thank my coworker Dave. Thank you, Dave. Who hasn't even finished the series yet. Has he not? No, I was like finishing up and he was like, wait, you've read all of them? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I've only done the first two volumes. And I'm like, Dave, Dave, you need to finish it, please. But Morgan, if you were to recommend something to somebody who loves Die, what would you recommend that they read? God, I don't know. Do you have any recommendations? I have a book that I liked but didn't love, but also it's the first book in a series. So I'm a bit more forgiving in a way because I feel like it was a lot of interesting setup. And that was Perception Check by Astrid Knight, which is about a university student and she's super traumatized because when she was like 10 years old she snuck out to the park with her best friend and her best friend got dragged away by goblin-esque creatures through a portal and then the portal closed and everyone was like no you made that up because you're traumatized and obviously she just got like abducted by an old man or something and that's what happened so she's like okay i'm pretty sure that's not what happened for like 10 years but nobody really believes her and then she becomes obsessed with this rpg game called mages of valmeria and she's obsessed with it particularly because it's an npc from a module who happens to look a lot like her best friend and then she starts seeing these weird goblin creatures again and then she finds one of them in the book and then they're like we need to go rescue her from this world because 
I think she's real and I think she's actually in that. Ooh, that sounds good. It wasn't everything that I wanted it to be, but the premise was so exciting that I had very high hopes. But the crux of it is still interesting. There's some fun world-building elements with the gods and the way that things work. My recommendation. First off, The Owl House TV show. It has to be recommended here. If you love portal fantasy, character who is obsessed with witches and fantasy and then ends up in a portal fantasy and is like, oh, interesting, this is a lot. But also, let's keep going and also be gay. And maybe the real villain is the people we met along the way. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's more things we could say that are technically spoilery that I don't want to. That The Owl House is so good, you guys. If you haven't watched The Owl House, what are you doing? Mm. What are you doing? And then the second, my second recommendation is going to be the Scholomance series by Naomi Novik, specifically because of the main character, because she's so not like other girls caught, but she has very good reason for that, because her whole magic system is that she tries to get normal spells for like cleaning her room, but every spell she gets is designed for massacring people, and she has to tamp it down because she's supposed to be this big bad evil witch who's gonna kill everybody and end the world and i just love how she gets around that in the magic system but is also like yeah it would be so easy for me to be evil and everyone's really surprised that i'm not even trying but it would be so easy and i would be so powerful and i love that i'm gonna sneak one more recommendation in as well yes. before we're out which is dungeon club by molly Knox ostertag and xanthe bauma which like on some levels, is entirely different because it's middle grade and it's very much about like friendships in middle school and <laughs> normal friend arguments and things like that. But it is also about Dungeons and Dragons. Well, specifically, it's about Dungeons and Dragons rather than a different role playing game. It is a graphic novel, so it's similar on those levels, and it's also similar on the level that it has gorgeous art, even if it's in a completely different style. It's very pastel and it also has beautiful limited color palettes and things like that. And it is basically about two friends, one of whom is like a DM for the other, and they just have like little one-on-one sessions together. Um, and then the DM is like, I think that we should start an actual Dungeons and Dragons club because that would be more fun if we're playing with more people. And the other kid is like, I really don't want to do that because that would involve talking to other people. And you're my best friend. And I think that we should have all of our time together. And it is also a little bit gay. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> So it's basically just about them setting up their club. There's only one out right now, and the first one feels very like laying the groundwork for their friendships and things. But it's extremely cute. Also, the main character is, at least in the first novel, referred to when she her pronouns, but she's very insistent about the fact that her character is a boy and don't call him a girl. And, you know, is a bit of a tomboy and sort of reacts a bit mm, sometimes when people are like girls. So I was like, you know, I don't believe that that is a cis right there it's just a lot of fun and if you play ttrpgs i think that you will enjoy it particularly if you played them as a kid i guess i thought there was something else i was going to mention but it's just gone from my brain now critical role i mean listen if you haven't watched critical role what are you doing other things with your life this is the conversation i have in my own brain every morning we're finishing out graphic novels month for december with another graphic novel who could have guessed (laughs) (laughs) whoa we're going to be reading volume one only volume one this time we're not doing four volumes or something volume one of hooky by Miriam Benastraitur. I don't think Morgan knows basically anything about this. Nope. So I'm not going to say anything about it, but it used to be a webtoon. That's what I'll say. Now mm. it's published. And there's three volumes out, but we're just, we're just doing the first one. Don't panic. Nice chill episode for the end of December. That'll be out on the 18th of December. Until then, you're always welcome through the bookcase. Don't forget to scratch the cat on your way out. 
Thank you for listening to The Hidden Bookcase, a production of Planar Prod. On this episode, you heard Morgan Greensmith and Soren Brywood discussing Die by Kieran Gillen, Stephanie Hans, and Clayton Cowles. You can find out more about this book at diecomic.com. You can follow Gillen on Twitter at Kieran Gillen and Hans on Twitter at Hans Stephanie, and you can find Cowles on Instagram at Clayton Cowles. You can find The Hidden Bookcase on Twitter at Hidden Bookcase and on Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, and TikTok at Hidden Bookcase Podcast. Find out more about Planar Prod at planarprod.com. Know what we should read next, or want to chat to us about what you thought of this episode's read? You can reach us at thehiddenbookcase at gmail.com, send us a DM on social media, or join our growing community of bookworms on our Discord server, the link is in the show notes. Want to support The Hidden Bookcase? Support us on Patreon for a bonus episode every month, outtakes, playlists, and other extras, or buy a book through our bookshop.org page linked in the show notes. Also consider leaving us a rating or review, or telling a friend how to find us. Your whispers are the best way for bookworms to discover our show. On our next episode, which will be out on Monday, the 18th of December, we'll be discussing Cookie, Volume 1, by Miriam Banath-Retour. We hope to see you then, and in the meantime, you're always welcome through the bookcase. <laughs>